Okay, good evening everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 143 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. And we are going to get to Gandalf's part of the council at last. Uh, still less than halfway through, of course, the council. Uh, but uh, that's okay. Uh, we are finally coming to the place. Uh, Gandalf is being given the position of honor. We're going to be told by Elrond <clears throat> and allowed to go last, which means a little before halfway through the through the chapter. Um, anyway, so uh, let's uh, d uh, jump fairly quickly back into this. Just wanted to give a quick reminder to folks. Uh, don't forget, uh, there's still a couple weeks left to register for, for our first month of our Signum Path program. We have, of course, our July and August classes open for registration as well, but you can still get in uh, to June classes uh, in these next two weeks here. So just wanted to draw your attention to that, path.signumuniversity.org, uh, for our homepage there. Um, all right, let us, uh, uh, let us jump back into the text here. Um, <laughs> yeah, and Mike calls Gandalf the only person who likes the sound of his own voice more than Bilbo does. Yeah, true enough. True enough. Okay. All right. So we were, we ended last time with Galdor's, uh, sort of interruption, right? Galdor overhearing Bilbo, uh, and, uh, calling out, uh, calling out aloud, right? You speak for me also. Um, although it seemed to be, we were kind of talking about the extent to which his segue is a non sequitur, right? In that uh, he says, you know, Frodo, has, he's just overheard Frodo saying uh, that he wished to hear a lot more from Gandalf. And then he responds by saying, you speak for me also. And then doesn't say anything explicitly about Gandalf. Uh, so the primary, one of the things that we were sort of thinking about in response to that observation last time was that Galdor... Um, it seems to be a sort of invitation uh, to Gandalf, perhaps slightly more subtle and, and less direct uh, than Frodo simply saying, I would like to hear a good deal more from Gandalf, right? Um, you know, he calls for the proofs, right? May we not hear the proofs uh, that the halfling's trove is indeed a great, the great ring of long debate. Um, and what of Saruman? Right? He is learned in the lore of the rings, and yet he is not among us. What is his counsel if he knows the things that we have heard? So, um, what are the proofs that this ring is, in fact, the ring of power? And can we get the opinion of an actual expert, please? We have, you know, our sort of resident within the, within the wise, within the White Council, right, expert on the rings of power. What is his input into this question? An obviously very good, um, uh, an obviously very good question. In the end, after further thought, I've come back around to thinking that Galdor's segue is actually pretty good. Uh, that he's he probably is teeing it up pretty well uh, for Elrond here, I think, uh, Gilgonthir. And perhaps it's... Um, I won't go so far as to call him a plant, uh, but I do think that he is kind of pushing things in this direction. Another thing that I can't help but notice um, is how closely he is actually echoing what Boromir said, right? Boromir, uh, you know talks about the, the bright ring, right, that he has seen in the halfling's hand, um, you know, how do we know that this was Isildur's ring? Um, Galdor is essentially still saying the same thing and pointing out politely, right, quite politely and quite indi indirectly, 
um, that that has not been proven yet. Okay, so in response to Boromir's question, how do we know that this ring, you know, this bright ring, this bright, attractive, really desirable-looking ring that this halfling has held up is, uh, you know, how do we know it's the Ring of Power? The only response to that we've gotten is Bilbo's story about how he found it in the Misty Mountains, and then Frodo's story about how he kept the ring and how he came and was being pursued by the Black Riders, right? Um, That is to say, the answer hasn't been given yet. Um, That's... Whatever else it might be, the accounts of Bilbo and Frodo certainly cannot lead, add up to a proof, anything like a proof, uh, that this ring is the ring that Isildur lost, right? Um, so Galdor is, I think, rather gently pushing on the fact that, that you know, this, uh, although this is very interesting material, right, that the two, these two halflings have given us, this has not answered the question, right? And, and we still really do need to know what reasons are there for us to believe. He's not saying it skeptically, right? He's being very politic about this. He's being diplomatic. He's not calling anybody out on the carpet here. In fact, there's even a kind of humility in that first sentence, right? The wise may have good reason to believe the halfling's trove is indeed the great ring of long debate, unlikely though that may seem to those who know less, Right. It's like, you know, we ignorant folks, we just like, it seems unlikely. It's probably just us. Right. I am sure the wise. So he's not he's not, you know, criticizing Elrond or Gandalf or anybody else. Right. He's he's not, he's not being aggressive. He's just saying, I'm sure this makes sense to you guys. But I trust that we're getting to the part of the meeting where you share that information with us. Right. Um, and uh, um and again, that seems to me a fairly gentle way to do it. But again, I would point out that he's he is doing nothing more than seconding, essentially, Boromir's uh, testimony or Boromir's question, right? That led to this um, in uh, uh, in the first place. And his Saruman question seems to me I don't see any reason to believe that his Saruman question isn't one hundred percent genuine, right? Um, in fact, it seems very likely that what he's essentially, that one of the things, you know, uh, uh, what is his counsel? You know, yet he is not among us, he says. Um, again, I don't necessarily read that as a rebuke of Elrond or anything like that. And yet there's, there's question there. There's a certain, there's, there's a slight, I don't want to say challenge, but question at least, right? We all know who's the expert on this subject, Right. I'd have kind of expected you, Elrond, to, like, include... Like, didn't you invite... Didn't you think to invite Saruman, the White? I mean, if you knew we were going to have a Ring of Power-related council here, right? Uh, if uh, if you suspected that, um, you know, so th- this situation was going to arise, which was going to call for the most momentous decision, shouldn't we have not only, A, the person who is actually the, you know, uh, the leader of the Council of the Wise, but also... Um, the the foremost expert on the thing in question. I mean, that uh, seems pretty obvious, like a no-brainer, right? And so I, I I I again think that Galdor, especially seeing how 
polite and indirect he's being uh, in the first part of his speech, I expect he's being polite and indirect in the second part as well. And saying, he's saying quite neutrally, it seems odd, right, that Saruman should not be here. How does that come to be, Elrond? Why is it that Saruman is, is, is not here? Um, it's like he assumes there must be some story behind that. And of course, he's entirely correct that there is a story about that. Now, Tessa, it's certainly true. He didn't know he was going to have a council, right? Uh, you know, you can't really, I mean, when you look at the whole thing, you can't really blame Elrond for that. Uh, and I'm sure that Galdor would be reasonable about that as well. Um, but nevertheless, uh, it's still an interesting question, right? And that's why I think he then follows it up to uh, by saying, what is his counsel if he knows the things that we've... Like, if someone at least reached out to him, right? Um, he's obviously... He's got to be in the loop here, right? Right? Probably. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Gogonthir says, if you're going to have people summoned by an undefined, unspecified purpose, you would normally expect Saruman to be the first to get that call. Yeah, absolutely, right? Like, uh, uh, you know, if, if I mean, someone's out there sending dream poems, right, summoning them uh, to Rivendell. Surely, surely Saruman made that list, right? You, you, you've got to think. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Exactly. As JJ says, they were called, though Elrond is not the one that called them. So whoever did the calling left Saruman off the uh, the invite list for some reason. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. Ambrosius. Uh, Olmo didn't send uh, Saruman the, uh, the link for this particular Zoom meeting. Absolutely correct. Um, uh, so, no, Tybert... Absolutely, Saruman was not a traveling wizard like Gandalf. Um, you know just where to find Saruman at almost any time, right? Um, uh, of course, uh, in his very fixed location uh, down there in Isengard. Um, now, again, I'm not actually saying that I think that Galdor is going to be critical, right, of the fact that he wasn't invited, you know, the Saruman wasn't invited. Uh, because, again, like, he's going to understand uh, that nobody called this meeting, right? That this was relatively spontaneous. Um, but, um, uh, but still, he, he, surely he must have been, must have been consulted with. Um, Elrond's response. The question, oh, sorry, hang on a second. Before I get to Elrond's response, I wanted to fulfill our promise only just briefly, though, uh, to talk about the word trove. We missed the word trove. The halfling's trove is indeed a great ring of long debate. Um, uh, Flamifer talked about this on his uh, uh, forum post about it, uh, and he's perfectly correct. The word trove uh, comes from, it's, it means something that you find, right? Like a find. Um, so a treasure trove is technically treasure that has been discovered, happened across by people. So, you know, when you're like, uh, you know, plowing your field and you come up with, a, you know, a bunch of unknown Anglo-Saxon gold that was buried there centuries before, like happens in England occasionally, um, that's a treasure trove. Okay. Exactly. It's related to French trouvé. Exactly. That's it. That's it, Chris. So, um, uh, so Galdor is being quite correct, quite technically correct, right? When that happens, um, 
when he when he uses that word. It, 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 Bilbo has just told the story about how he found it, right? So the ring is indeed the trove of Bilbo. It's Bilbo's trove. Not anybody else's trove, right? but it's Bilbo's trove. Um, uh, so that is, uh, uh, he is, he is spot on in his usage of that word. Um, and you've got to know that Tolkien enjoys that kind of precision, knowing exactly what that word is supposed to convey, right? Um, uh, it does not mean a hoard, right? It does not mean, uh, it just means treasure that has been found. Um, and, um, interesting that he kind of um, calls it that, right? Um, that is, not, it's not just because it's correct. By calling it the halfling's trove, he's emphasizing that Bilbo found it, right? Um, this ring that Bilbo found would be one way of paraphrasing what he calls it, right? By calling it the halfling's trove. Um, and of course, in the context of his sentence... Right, the wise may have good reason to believe that the halfling's trove is indeed right. Um, the wise may have good reason to believe that this ring, the this hobbit randomly picked up in the middle of the misty mountains, does happen to be Sauron's one ring of power, which was just lying there, right on the ground. Um, unlikely though that may seem to those of us who know less, it's hard to blame people for thinking that. Unlikely, right? Um, it's uh, now you're right, Tony. He's not saying that he stole it, right? Uh, he is uh, certainly not perpetuating the name of thief that was put upon uh, Bilbo by Gollum, of course. Um, that is certainly true. But again, I think his emphasis is on he is point again rather gently pointing to the need for proofs. Still, okay, all right, fine. Bilbo found it, right? And this ring that's here is the ring that Bilbo found in the Misty Mountains. Great. What does that prove, right? Why on earth should we think that a... Ra- I mean, what are the odds? What are the odds that this halfling in the dark, this, like, random guy, randomly crawling around in a tunnel in the dark, puts his hand on a ring which turns out to be Sauron's ring of power? I mean, come on, right? That's... that's It takes a lot of believing, right? Um, so... Um, Anyway, that's um, that's complicated. Um, now, I don't think a couple of you are asking Edith uh, and Gogonthir and Flamifer was talking about this a good deal uh, in his post as well. Um, I, you know, d- does his use of the word trove have any relevance to the question of Bilbo's right to ownership? I don't think so. I, I don't think that that's what Galdor is getting at here at all. I don't think he's interested in that question. Um, to Galdor, surely it's totally irrelevant of, like, what is Bilbo's legal right to, like, claim the thing, right? That's not even on the table. All that's on the table is the provenance of this ring. Where did it come from? And what reason do we have to believe that this ring that you put your hand on in the dark happens to be Sauron's ring of power? Right. Um, so whether or not finding it and it's being a trove gives him any kind of legal ownership of it or whether he should return it to Gollum or whatever else or, uh, you know, whether the government could claim it or, or whatever. I don't think anybody. Ca- well, OK, I think Bilbo cares about that, perhaps. Um, uh, and I know Gollum cares about that. 
But I certainly don't think Galdor from the Havens cares about that at all. So I think that his emphasis, his use of the word trove, is just designed to remind us we're talking about a thing Bilbo literally picked up off the ground, right? Um, you know, why should you think? Why should we? Please tell me why we should think that this is Sauron's own ring. Um, and exactly, uh, Brandon, if, if it is the ring, um, the ownership is moot. It's Sauron's. <laughs> exactly. I mean, certainly to Galdor. It's, and not to mention the fact that Bilbo doesn't even have it anymore, right? So it's not even about... It's like, yeah, the, somebody launching into a debate about, like, the legal right to keep it of the person who used to have it but doesn't even anymore, like, that is like two or three levels of irrelevant to Galdor, certainly, at this point. Um, but, um, um, but yeah, Marielle, I do tend to agree that uh, the idea of the government claiming it does seem to be a relatively modern thing. Um, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, exactly, Sheridan. I would think that Feanor's claim to the Silmaril, one of the thing, one of the one of the things you can see in the oath of Feanor, right, is that he is putting in an exp- uh, like uh, an explicit, explicit clauses against the finders keepers, losers weepers premise, right? Um, you know, one of the ways in which you could paraphrase some of the elements of the oath of Feanor is, it is the finder, not the loser, who's going to be made to weep if you follow my meaning, right? Uh, I don't care where you get it or how you get it or no matter what circumstances, if it comes to, it's still mine, right? And I still claim it. And he's um, aggressive about that. Feanor is, right? Um, uh, Enough to lead you to think that he is anticipating other people saying they might have reason to claim it for their own. Um, But anyway... Yeah, and he does name names, Tony. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, anyway, uh, the um, the point is, no one's worried about this right now. Again, except perhaps, maybe, privately, and not even in the forefront of his mind, Bilbo, right? What we care about is, is this really Saruman, Sauron's ring? And also, of course, what about Saruman? So... Elrond's response. The questions you ask, Galdor, are bound together. I had not overlooked them, and they shall be answered. But this, but these things it is the part of Gandalf to make clear, and I call upon him last, for it is the place of honor, and in all this matter he has been the chief. Okay. Elrond says, I've not overlooked this, right? He says to Galdor, Galdor, you're jumping the gun on my agenda, right? That was next in line, but you see how I keep getting interrupted by Gondorian semi-princes and, and halflings, right? Impatient for lunch. Um, so we're getting there, right? In fact, we are right now getting there. There are a few things that jump out at me here. Um, these things, it is the part of Gandalf to make clear. Make clear is one of the first things that I find interesting there. Um, it's not the part of Gandalf to tell. It's the part of Gandalf to make clear. Um, he is going to put... Gandalf isn't just going to tell the stories. He's not just going to fill the gaps. Gandalf is going to make everything clear, right? Um, and 
that I think uh, is interesting. Yeah, Corey, I agree. Um, Elrond's answer suggests that Galdor's questions aren't obviously directed to Gandalf, right? Um, he, Elrond presents this as if he is like rerouting the questions to Gandalf, essentially. Um, but um, anyway, so remember that making things clear. Let's just let's just keep in mind before Gandalf speaks that making things clear, spelling everything out, putting everything together, uh, is going to be Gandalf's job. Right. Um, and so that's an important piece of context, which Elrond seems to be giving us here. Another thing that really jumps out at me here is the fact that he says the qu- your questions are bound together. And that's not necessarily obvious. Indeed, even in retrospect, that is even with the knowledge of someone who's read the book before, it's not even 100% obvious how those questions are bound together. Um, How do you know this is Sauron's ring, and what does Saruman have to say about this, right? Um, There's a connection, but I'm not sure even if I would have called them bound together, apart from the fact that they're bound together and that Gandalf is going to answer them both, right? So they have the both, uh, you know, sort of the two... um, uh, the two, like the answers to both questions. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Arahad, I agree. Gandalf is about to put together all the different pieces to the puzzle that everyone else uh, has only a part of. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I agree, Fourth Dauntless, that Saruman's lust for the ring is pretty good evidence, though. It's evidence about the nature of the ring, but doesn't necessarily tell us anything about this ring in particular, necessarily. Um, But um, anyway, Saruman is going to come up. But again, it's another thing that I want to be thinking about as we're reading Gandalf's answers and to be thinking about how, indeed, are Galdor's two questions bound together in this sense. Um, And finally, the little introduction that he gives for Gandalf. He's not introducing him in the sense of like, I now present you with Gandalf the Grey. Let me tell you who he is. He's not giving a bio of Gandalf here. Um, But he does go out of his way to emphasize in all this matter, he has been the chief. Elrond points to Gandalf as the primary mover of events at this point. He's the first one to do this, right? Um, I mean, to Frodo... Right from our Shire-based perspective, uh, through which we have generally seen the story so far to this point, Gandalf, of course, has always been a big deal, and it's very interesting uh, to learn here that everybody else thinks so too. That's not necessarily a given, right? Especially in the sen- in the context of what Galdor was just saying that, like, Gandalf not actually the most qualified person to be addressing this issue. Right, Saruman is really the one that we should be we should be getting. Right, Gandalf is like a backup option at best. Um, Elrond also seems to, I think, perhaps be preparing things. Um, seems to be preparing things uh, for what he's going to say about Saruman as well. Right, um, Gandalf is certainly not the fallback option. Um, Aurea Entulava, wonderful name, uh, says, would Gandalf have spoken with Elrond about Saruman before the council? I'm sure of it. Um, 
I don't think that... I mean, Gandalf has been there for days. I don't think that he didn't tell Elrond already. So I'm sure that Elrond already knows about Saruman. Um, but, um... Yeah, exactly. Rinru says that uh, uh, to Galdor, Gandalf's on the end of the bench saying, put me in, coach. Yeah, exactly. There's there's a lot of reasons why many people would not necessarily um, believe in Gandalf, right? Take Gandalf as seriously. He, Elrond, is going pretty far out of his way to make a big deal out of Gandalf here, almost as if there are people here who need to know that. Right, who need to uh, be reminded that Gandalf is kind of a big deal. Um, so I just uh, I think that that's worth remembering here. And again, Galdor's words about Saruman seem a kind of reminder of that. Um, yeah, JJ says, uh, thinking of the Hobbit, Bjorn hasn't even heard of Gandalf and doesn't think much of him just from the wizard title alone. Um, yeah, I agree. Although, even though wizards are a bigger deal already at this point in the Fellowship of the Ring than they were in The Hobbit, um, he, it's, he's clearly not automatically at the same level of, um, as Elrond. Absolutely. Um, uh, and yes, Gilgon Theory, you're right. Gandalf doesn't really look regal in his appearance. Now, um, if you have eyes to see, you can see that he's still fairly impressive. Remember his description at the dinner table, that wonderful Glorfindel, Elrond, Gandalf seating, right, that we got there at the end, the descriptions of the three of them, which show that Gandalf is is a little bit of a big deal. But again, that's presumably Frodo's point of view, right, who is seeing his old friend in this new context for the first time. And it's almost like, I don't know if we, I don't remember if we even talked about this at the time, but it seems to me perhaps one of the, uh, one of the undertones of that entire paragraph, right, is Frodo as narrator saying, and it was in this moment that I realized that, you know, the pipe smoking vagabond wizard who had been checking in on my family for a couple generations was actually a really big, there he is, sitting at the table at the right hand of El, you know, right, sorry, no, wait, Gorfindel's at his right hand, at the left hand of Elrond. Um, it's, um, it's a big deal, right? Um, yeah, and I agree, Tony, the White Council wouldn't be a public thing. The other people on the White, Galadriel is under no illusions about Gandalf being important. That does not necessarily mean that others are going to afford him the kind of respect that they would to Saruman. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I had great question. Why does Elrond call him Gandalf instead of Mithrandir? Um, I think. Well, let's see. There are several. I mean, they are all speaking Westron, so it's possible that he's just kind of using that mode. Um, this is what Gandalf is called in the North, Angrist, yeah. Um, uh, so yes, I would think that shifting to calling him Mithrandir would have been like a, a little bit of a, um, uh, a, a little bit of a shift, right, for Elrond. Um, he would have been going out of his way to give his Elvish name, which doubtless, like, you know, would make sense when he's speaking to Galdor. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, Tony, I agree. Even the dwarves 
know him by the name of Gandalf. And of course, um, out of courtesy to the hobbits as well, who clearly know him as Gandalf. And it's not like the wizard, the elves, like Galdor is going to be like, what? Who? I mean, he surely knows uh, that Mithrandir is also called Gandalf. So, um, uh, yeah, Gilgonthir, that was my very first, my very first impulse was to say that Elrond is kind of keeping it at the, you know, he's basically accommodating this conversation for the hobbits because I think perhaps Elrond already knows that he isn't the most important person in this room. Gandalf isn't the most important person in this room. Ultimately, Frodo is going to be the most important person in this room, right? The, um, the place of honor might be given to Gandalf, um, but the most important role is going to be played by Frodo. And so is, you know, is for that reason, is he already kind of targeting in a sense, uh, the hobbits, uh, in this way? Um, you know, I, uh, it's also, Tony, it's also possible that uh, we have the Hobbit narrator um, uh, using the name Gandalf. But see, of course, the Hobbit narrator is going to be faithfully rendering the name Mithrandir uh, when it's used in other contexts, right, in order to kind of convey uh, that sense, like down in Minas Tirith and uh, in Lothlorien. And yes, you are correct, those of you who are suspecting that uh, the name Mithrandir didn't really exist yet, that is correct. He was only called Gandalf to this point. Um, But that doesn't stop Tolkien from going back and changing this after the fact. Um, He did, as we saw with the Arwen passages, right, go back and make changes in order to reconcile things. So if he had decided that all elves called him Mithrandir all the time, he'd have put that in. Right, he had plenty of time to do that. Um, so, I don't think the fact that y- yes, it's true that when he had originally written this, but again, remember when we say originally written this, he wrote the Council of Elrond like four times, okay, um, and oh, in wildly different periods of the composition of the text. So it's not quite as linear as that, uh, really, um, especially up to and including the Council of Elrond, let me say. Um, we get um, the early parts of the story that we've already passed through are the ones that he did most often, right? Where sort of uh, the waves of the sea, right? Which is what I always kind of imagine as uh, Tolkien's composition, right? Are sort of coming up and receding and coming up and receding. And as he gets to a point and starts again and gets to the same point again and goes back and starts again, he got up to Rivendell. At least five times. Um, he got through the council a couple times. F- fewer times than he did uh, the material leading up to it. Um, then another point of the of the high cresting wave uh, was at Moria. Um, but again, he had lots of occasions of going back and revising and reworking things. So, as I say, not um, um, uh, not really um I, I get the, the the that it was never included doesn't mean that uh, uh you know it, it, it can only be explained by the fact that he hadn't thought of it yet um okay good good um yes and as Turambar points out that even Galadriel is going to call him Gandalf um he will be referred to as Mithrandir there but he will but Galadriel is going to, is going to, to call him Gandalf when she talks about him. Um, so 
it is clear that it's not like the elves don't know any other name or don't care about any other name. Um, uh, but, um, all right. Um, ooh, Milthalio, yeah, if you, I don't know, you know, this, uh, it might not be your thing, um, but if you're really interested in, I mean, if you're a writer and really interested in the writing process, um, the the history of the Lord of the Rings, volumes six, seven, and eight, uh, and the first half of nine, um, of uh, the History of Middle-Earth series is fascinating to read. And I did uh, Mythgard Academy's uh, classes on all of those. Um, so if you if you want, you can read through and even follow along with our discussions on our YouTube channel. It's uh, really... I found it amazing to dig through that uh, and sort of watch the stories emerge. I feel like I've learned an enormous amount. Um, not only about um, about Tolkien, but just kind of about the creative process. It was really fascinating. Um, but um, anyway, sorry, just a little plug there. But I, I, know, I know a lot of people don't get that far uh, in the history of Middle-earth. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Um, okay, cool. Um, oh, neat. Arahad just been listening to the Mythgard Academy stuff. You just finished the Boethius class today? Awesome. I loved the Boethius class. So glad. Uh, that people elected Boethius's Consolation of Philosophy, possibly the most, uh, uh, possibly the most surprising uh, thing that uh, was ever elected there. Um, anyway, okay. Um, all right. Um, okay. So ending with, of all this matter, he has been the chief, right? Gandalf's in, or Gandalf's introduction by Elrond. It's not that I think that there are going to be some people here who don't take him seriously, um, but there will be probably many people in here who will not realize the significance of Gandalf, right? Um, even the dwarves. Um, I mean, you think about the interactions between Gandalf and the dwarves in The Hobbit. He's like a professional, right, who can be sort of like hired on for a job, as it were, um, that he would be you know, the chief of all of these things, um, uh, is, uh, you know, um, not necessarily something people would expect. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, good, good. Um, let's keep going. Some Galdor, said Gandalf, would think the tidings of Glowen and the pursuit of Frodo Proof enough that the halfling's trove is a thing of great worth to the enemy, yet it is a ring. What then? The nine the Nazgul keep, the seven are taken or destroyed. At this Glowen stirred, but did not speak. The three we know of. What then is this one he desires so much? There is indeed a wide waste of time between the river and the mountain, between the loss and the finding, but the gap in the knowledge of the wise has been filled at last yet too slowly, for the enemy has been close behind, closer even than I feared. And well it is, and well is it that not until this year, this very summer as it seems, did he learn the full truth. Okay. Um, excellent. Um, yeah, Tessa says, I thought the Nine were held by Sauron, not the Nazgul. Tolkien's inconsistent on that point actually. Um, 
Gandalf here says the Nazgul keep the nine. Um, and that makes sense to me. Um, of the two things that Sauron holds the nine um, and that uh, the Ringwraiths are still wearing them, um, uh, you know, I'd, of those two, that the Ringwraiths are still wearing them, again, to me, sort of makes the most sense. Um, but um, anyway, uh, notice that there are two things that happen here, right? Um, first thing that he does, the very first thing that he does, is refer back to Glowen's story, which many people might have overlooked the relevance of. Um, no one has brought that up. Um, I wonder if even Glowen is thinking of it as evidentiary in relationship to this question about the ring, Bilbo's ring, right? So this halfling found a ring in the Misty Mountains. How do we know that this is Sauron's ring? And the first thing Gandalf says is, remember, Sauron sent for it, right? Sauron, remember what Sauron offered for this least of rings, right? This trifle that Sauron fancies? Um, you know, Gandalf is right to say, we know, we can be sure that this ring means something to Sauron, right? He would not do that. He would not be, you know, opening up diplomatic channels with Erebor uh, in order to... The, yeah, exactly. He offers the remaining seven and Moria return to them. I mean, that's what he offers them in exchange for this ring, right? Um, it's a big deal. Um, and Gandalf is, I think Gandalf is right uh, to uh, draw attention to this, right? Um, we do have reason to believe, external reason, not just, you don't have to take our word for it, right? Um, look at what has happened. Look at Sauron's own actions. And that's the other second thing that he says, the tidings of Glowen and the pursuit of Frodo. Look at what Sauron himself has done, right? Sauron is seeking for the ring and has made these enormously lavish offers, which he's probably not going to keep, everybody knows, right? But still, I mean, he's putting on the diplomatic pressure to, 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 to get this ring back. And secondly, he sent the Nazgul, the Nazgul, all nine of them, right? The nine Nazgul have gone out to the Shire on the other side of the continent in order to pursue that ring of Bilbo's, right? Um, so... Yeah. It's pretty clear that this ring is very important to Sauron. Um, so these things are proof enough that the halfling's trove is a thing of great worth to the enemy. So without even talking about its provenance, without even talking about how it came to be there, we don't need to know, right? One thing we know for sure, without any other proofs, is that Sauron wants that ring really, really badly, right? Um, now, Cosmic, you're right. Sauron could have bad intelligence on that, right? Sauron could be wrong. He could be mistaken. Um, but uh, still, it's interesting evidence, right? Um, yet it is a ring. What then? The nine the Nazgul keep, the seven are taken or destroyed, 
the three we know of, what then is this one that he desires so much? Um, Gandalf's second move. So his first move is to emphasize that other piece, that other body of evidence that we have, right? Um, To do some commentary on Frodo's story. Let me draw your attention to this really important fact, right? Why would he send the Ringwraiths to do this job, right? Why was this so important to him that he would send his most powerful... And notice how this connects even with Boromir's statement, right? Why did Boromir leave again? Why are they desperate in Gondor? Oh yeah, because the Ringwraiths came, right? The Lord of the Black Rider came into the battle and they knew they couldn't stand against him, right? There was no way that they were going to be able to hold back the forces. Oh, and then uh, they left, right? The, so that, that those same riders, which made the situation for the Gondorian armies almost hopeless, so hopeless that their captain general himself left, right, in order to pursue the one desperate hope that might enable them uh, to, uh, uh, you know, gain something, some insight, some weapon, something or other that might help them stand against the enemy, right? Um, he's left. He went to the Shire instead. So, this is good news for Boromir, I guess. Hey, Boromir, so you're probably going to find Minas Tirith still standing when you get back, because that Black Rider you've been afraid of was just, is here, right? Uh, in fact, you might have passed him on the road, actually. Um, but, um, uh, okay. So, Right. Lincoln says this is Gandalf's chance to play Hercule Poirot and tie all the seemingly disconnected threads together in a single unified narrative. Yeah, that's kind of exactly what he's doing here. Um, um, and <laughs> Music Alice is absolutely right, except instead of Poirot's mustaches, it's Gandalf's eyebrows, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I But Music I'm hoping this doesn't mean that Gandalf is waxing his eyebrows, because that's just disturbing. Uh, but anyway... Um, Okay, so anyway, uh, Gandalf's approach here is a sort of process of elimination, right? Um, In fact, you may remember, we talked about this quite a bit back in chapter two, um, right around the time when we started going sentence by sentence through the whole book, actually. Um, one of the things that a lot of people often struggle with is why didn't Gandalf figure this out sooner, right? And almost everybody that I have ever heard talk about this, right? Almost everybody I've ever heard making this objection or complaint or asking this question follows exactly Gandalf's own lead here, right? Dude, simple process of elimination, right? There aren't that many rings, and all the rest of them are accounted for, so there's this free-floating ring of power, right, in the field, and come on, like, count on your fingers, dude. How long does it take you to figure, why does it take Gandalf 60 years more, right? Arguably 77 years to figure out that this was the one ring. Couldn't he have done that math that he just did before? Right? Um, so it's interesting, 
that Gandalf himself starts with this whole idea, right? What then is this one ring that he desires so much? I will just say, to keep in mind the two questions, uh, the, or I would, to, to, to keep in mind um, a couple things that I emphasized back in chapter two, right? Thing number one, don't forget that lots of people, most everybody knows less than we do. Um, it might be super obvious to us. It's not going to be super obvious to everybody else. Not everybody even knows all the lore of the rings. Like, not even everybody is going to know how many rings all of them are, right? Um, so that lots of people don't realize this. And secondly, uh, keep in mind that, well, in a sense, the very unlikeliness that Galdor is speaking of um, kind of plays into this here, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. As Turambar says, nobody except Sauron can tell quite how accounted for the other rings are. Um, yeah, there's still some mystery there. Um, exactly. There's still some mystery there. And there were other lesser rings, Argent, exactly. It's not yet 100% certain that this is necessarily one of the great rings. So there are definitely other options for Gandalf, but notice he's not giving those options, right? Um, because you'll notice, why is Gandalf skipping a step there? Why isn't he entertaining the possibility that it might be a lesser, that it might possibly be one of the lesser rings? Um, and the answer is because of the previous evidence he's already pointed to. If this were just one of the minor rings, one of the lesser rings, would Sauron be offering kingdoms in exchange for it? Would he be sending, would he be extracting the ring rates right at their moment of victory, of apparent victory, right? He could have crushed Minas Tirith within a month, presumably, right? Um, after the defeat that they had received. If he had pressed on, but no, instead, he packs them off across the continent to the north. The Ringwraiths, that is, not Gondor. Um, That's a big deal, right? Sauron's actions show that he prioritizes this above anything, even above the defeat of Gondor, his ancient foe. It's more important than that, right? Um... You could say it's more important than Moria, which is his source of Mithril, which he apparently values. Um, but I don't put much stock in that because, of course, to say that he would be willing to give that up would be to believe that he was actually going to follow through on his promise to the dwarves, which I don't believe. Uh, so I don't think that he was actually, that Moria was in any real danger of changing hands there just because he offered it, right? Um, so, um, okay. So. And in theory, it could be one of the lesser rings. But when you combine these two things, it's a ring. It's clearly a magical ring. Um, yet it is a ring, right? And we know there's a limited number of magical rings, even counting the lesser rings, right? There's a lim- and But Sauron is not going to be acting like this in pursuit of one of the lesser rings. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trifle says, I think he'd give them Moria, but he's not going to remove the Balrog first. Yeah, exactly. A little uh, kind of booby prize there. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, and then he adds, there is indeed a wide waste of time between the river and the mountain. 
between the loss and the finding. I totally acknowledge that there's a serious question of provenance here, right? There's not only a space of distance, right? Which, I mean, it's in the area, but it's not right in the area, right? And also of time. I mean, 3,000 years went by between when the ring was lost by Saruman and when uh, Bilbo finds it, right, in the tunnel. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Right, so, um, uh, yeah, Tessa, Nazgul is a black speech word. Exactly. Nazgul, which means literally ring wraith. Um, uh, why is he throwing around that word, Nazgul? Um, well, I don't know why. Um, Exactly. Hmm. Shock Factor Musical. That's kind of the, um, kind of the direction I'm thinking. Um, Hmm. Well, JJ, it's possible that it's a borrowed word, like music I was just suggesting. Um, it started as black speech, but other languages have just adopted it as a proper title. Right. Yeah, music all. Nazgul are exactly like croissants in that way. Baby. Right. Um, uh... I like that connection. How is a Nazgul like a croissant? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, right, Fourth Dauntless is wondering if... Well... But even if Ghoul is... does have a Cinderin root as well, Nazg is... I mean, that's black speech. I don't think we can get around that. Um... Let's say this. I know what you guys are thinking about. What you guys are thinking about is when Gandalf is going to get in trouble for using the black speech later on. And so, Tessa, you're thinking, why doesn't, why don't all the elves blanch and throw up their hands and have start having fits now when he's just said a black speech word, right? Um, you know, so he just used the black speech and nobody's reacting like the knights who say knee, right? So, um... Why, um, why not? If the black speech has never been heard before. Um, I, I think we'll see that more clearly when we get there. And what I think, we've talked about a similar thing like this before. Um, I was just talking about this, uh, with Rinrus. Uh, with Stephen Trish, uh, this past week, we were recording an episode of their wonderful podcast, The Time That Has Given Us, um, and we were talking about how Sauron, concerning the name of Sauron, we were talking about the Down to Weathertop, and um, 
Frodo gets cut off before he can say the word Mordor, right? And Aragorn's like, don't say that. Let's not talk about that, right? And then he sings the song of Baron and Luthien, and then in his prose recap afterwards, he goes out of his way, way out of his way, to say of whom Sauron of Mordor was only a servant, right? He did not have to say either Sauron or Mordor there. He was talking about something else entirely, right? Um, but for a little context, he throws out exactly the names that he had just said that they, sh- that they shouldn't say, right? Um, my point is, in that scene, I think it's... Um, I think it's fairly clear that it's not—it's not just about the magic words, right? It's not just—it's—it's it's not like don't say his name lest he appear or something. And we talked about this, right? There's more to it. Um, there's more to all of those things than simply don't say the forbidden word. And I think that that's true here. I think that what we will see when we get to um, the moment when Elf when all the elves freak out when Gandalf uses the black speech later, he's doing more than just using a word that is from the black speech. Um, And I don't think that the elves blanch and twitch every time you say a word like Nazgul, right? Um, I don't think that that is what happens. I don't think that elves are as sensitive as that. I think that what is happening later on in this chapter when Gandalf does that is a much bigger deal. But we'll see that then. Okay. Um, okay, what then is this one? All right. Wide waste of time. That's where I was getting. Between the loss and the finding. So exactly as Fred Rock Paper said on the Twitch chat there, uh, the two locations are 300 miles and 3,000 years removed. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, But the gap in the knowledge of the wise has been filled at last, yet too slowly. For the enemy has been close behind, closer even than I feared. And well it is that not until this year, this very summer as it seems, did he learn the full truth. Sauron has figured this out. And we are very lucky that he only figured it out just now. Had he figured this out sooner, um, we would have been in huge trouble. But So we figured it out too slowly. The only fortunate thing is that Sauron was even slower than we were, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, he acknowledges, and he's going to talk about this more in a minute, he acknowledges that it took them too long to figure it out, right? We should have figured this out sooner. It would have been better had we figured this out sooner. Um, <laughs> WKU says, uh, if Sauron found this out before, uh, we'd all be using the black speech right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. The enemy has been close behind, closer even than I feared. Um he learned the full truth this very summer. So just months ago, he learned the truth. Um, Keep in mind here, what does this show us? What kind of context? This is Gandalf's opening. We've been looking at the rhetoric employed by a lot of the different speakers here. What is Gandalf establishing? What is he communicating here? 
the first, if this whole, these two paragraphs are sort of his preamble, right? He both begins and ends it with emphasizing Sauron's actions, right? His immediate response to Galdor's question. Um, how do we know this is the ring? We could, one option is we could sit down and we could contemplate all the pros and cons and the uh, advantages and disadvantages of different theories for and against the idea that this is Sauron's ring. We could totally do that, right? But let's keep in mind the important thing here. Sauron believes this, and Sauron is acting, right? Sauron has just learned the truth. In other words, we've got no time, right? This is really urgent. Um, And it is clear from... So again, basically, if your best hope is that Sauron happens to be wrong, like, seriously, that's what you want to gamble on? Maybe Sauron doesn't know what he's talking about? Maybe maybe that's why it's okay? Um, Yeah, yeah, Fourth Dauntless, I think that's a good summary. Fourth Dauntless says, we are in serious danger. The decision we make is critical. Absolutely, absolutely. That is his... Uh, that is his uh, his emphasis there. Um, yeah, and that is also really interesting, Trifle, uh, that, uh, you know, Galdor was just referring to Saruman being the expert on ring lore. Gandalf immediately points to the real expert on ring lore, right? If you want to know somebody who knows rings of power, how about Sauron, right? And it's pretty clear that Sauron is fairly convinced uh, of, you know, if if we want proofs, Sauron doesn't need them, right? He's convinced. And he made the bloody thing, right? So, okay. Um, This is, uh, and again, and this is urgent. This is really time sensitive. Um, So don't let this become a sort of academic debate, right? Um, There is more at stake here than that. And Gandalf, of course, is also asserting He's not given any evidence yet, right? Um, But he is asserting that the gap in the knowledge of the wise has been filled, right? Um, We know. We know what it is. And notice how he characterizes Saruman's knowledge as learning the full truth, right? So he is speaking with confidence of the fact that the wise know uh, the answer. Now, remember, Galdor didn't suggest that they didn't, right? The wise may have reason to believe, right? Um, but may we not see the proofs? And so, to some extent, Gandalf's answer to that question is beginning to sound like, no, actually, you can't see the proofs. <laughs> like, we don't have time for the proofs. You're going to have to trust me on that. Um, exactly. Take our word for it is one of the things that he is saying, which, again, is in line with what Galdor said, uh, which is... Um, uh, which is kind of interesting. Let's keep going. Some here will remember that many years ago, I myself dared to pass the doors of the necromancer in Dol Guldor and secretly explored his ways and found thus that our fears were true. He was none other than Sauron, our enemy of old, at length taking shape and power again. Some too will remember also that Saruman dissuaded us from open deeds against him, and for long we watched him only. Yet at last, as his shadow grew, Saruman yielded, and the council put forth its strength and drove the evil out of Mirkwood. And that was in the very year of the finding of the ring, a strange chance, if chance it was. 
But we were too late, as Elrond foresaw. Sauron also had watched us, and had long prepared against our stroke, governing Mordor from afar through Minas Morgul, where his nine servants dwelt, until all was ready. Then he gave way before us, but only feigned to flee, and soon after came to the Dark Tower and openly declared himself. Then for the last time the council met, for now we learned that he was seeking ever more eagerly for the one. We feared then that he had some news of it, that we knew nothing of. But Saruman said nay, and repeated what he had said to us before, that the one would never again be found in Middle-earth. At the worst, said he, our enemy knows that we have it not, and that it still is lost. But what may, what, but what was lost may yet be found, he thinks. Fear not, his hope will cheat him. Have I not earnestly studied this matter? Into Anduin the Great it fell, and long ago, while Sauron slept, it was rolled down the river to the sea. There let it lie until the end. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Yes. So, sorry, I, I'm not seeing... I can't read the tiny, tiny little print that says your Twitter handle. Um, but yes, to the person on Twitter who just posted that, um, yes, by saying if chance it was, yes, absolutely I do believe that Gandalf is pointing to Providence here, to the hand of Providence there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, Bruce, thank you. Sorry. Yeah, I... I it's 90 degrees rotated, and it's in gray scale. It's faint gray scale and tiny letters, and I'm getting old. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, but yes, I definitely think that that's what Gandalf is referring to there. Well, let's start with the per first paragraph here. Gandalf recalls his own action, Right? that he himself dared to pass the doors of the necromancer in Dol Guldur and secretly explored his ways and found thus that our fears were true. He was none other than Sauron, our enemy of old, at length taking shape and power again. Now, yeah, Tony, we absolutely need to talk about Sauron taking shape and power again. Growing in... Okay, taking shape is fairly specific. At length, taking power again, that could be metaphorical in various ways, right? That is, was he himself growing stronger? Probably. Um, was he gaining power again? Was he taking power again in the sense of building up armies and uh, enabling himself to... Uh, be better prepared to wage war against the good people. Um, that's it, there. There's several different ways, or all of those ways, in which we could understand um, him taking power again. Um, but taking shape is for me a little bit harder to get around. Um, Yeah, uh, Enoch Arden says, I love the idea of Gandalf sneaking around Dol Guldur unbeknownst to Sauron or the Nazgul. That's exactly, um, that's exactly what it, what it sounds like. Um, 
uh, he says that he secretly explored his ways. Um, by what means did Gandalf disguise himself, conceal himself? Um, you know, I don't know. But yes, Brandon, I can't get around the fact that shape implies a physical for, uh, shape, a, a physical form of some kind. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yes, Angrist says, I find it more plausible that his fall against Elendil did true lasting damage and needed to heal, evidenced by his lack of a finger in his new form. Um, yes. Yes, I agree. Um, yes, we have seen this before, Trifle, at the end of the Akalabeth, um, when Sauron dwells in Barad-dûr, taking a new form. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I definitely, um, I definitely think that taking shape does sound to me probably literal. Um, not metaphorical. That he is manifesting a shape. That in the immediate years, like in the first few centuries, right, of the Third Age, he was probably um, a disembodied spirit, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, exactly, Tony. He has to manifest that form according to his will. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, weaker than the meanest ghost, something like that, Tony. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yes, exactly. As uh, Chris says, it's the rem it's the remnant of his ability to put on raiment. Yes, he has to he has to body himself forth, and this is not easy anymore. Um, uh, he is. I mean, after not only after the downfall of Numenor. But then after his overthrow, remember, as we've talked about before, Sauron was slain, like his body was destroyed um, by Isildur and Elendil and Gilgalad. Um, and um, yeah, yeah. So Angrist, great question. If the Meyer can put on bodies like we wear clothes, why do they appear to have such issues with them, like Morgoth limp in Sauron's finger? Because they're different. They weaken themselves. Morgoth and Sauron are no longer... So there, there are two different things here. One... There, okay, there are two different factors. One of which Tolkien never really fully reconciled, and the other of which he did. Um, and of the, of the former thing, uh, of the, the ones that Tolkien hadn't fully reconciled, there are some exceptions to this, um, the whole the business about... Um, uh, his, the relationship with his body. Um, I, like Melian, Luthien's mom, right? Um, kind of breaks a few things, right? It's complicated. Um, but, um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, um, sorry, I'm laughing. I'm laughing because somebody seems to be getting in trouble on the Twitch channel. <laughs> so, 
somebody was just saying, are my parents here? And his dad responds, I said, I thought I told you to go to bed. (laughs) We're having an issue here. Anyway, sorry. Um, It's nice to see both father and son uh, uh, indirectly bonding by both uh, tuning into the show in different locations. (laughs) But anyway... um, Okay, so again, the the whole question of like how firm are the relationship between the you know the the Ainur and their physical bodies is something which was kind of a, a fluctuating thing for Tolkien throughout the period and and to well after the writing of the Lord of the Rings, um, so that's kind of an uncertain thing on the one hand. But the other thing which he had worked through much more definitely is the effect of um, the effect of evil, right? Morgoth before him and Sauron now have both spent their spirits in dominating the will of others. That's not metaphorical. It doesn't just mean that, like, they, you know, were taking on a lot, right? It doesn't mean that they were just attempting to do, um, uh, to, you know, it means they literally are lessening themselves. They are weaker. Um, and, um, yeah, it's very possible uh, Tony, that um, uh, he put a lot of his own power into his form, like into his servants, and losing it strips him of the power that they invested. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that seems very possible. Uh, as uh, Chris was saying it, in both Morgoth's and Sauron's cases, they had externalized themselves into objects of power. Um, yes, yes, exactly. Um, but um, Anyway, so so yeah, no question that uh, Sauron's death, I mean, the destruction of his physical form on Mount Doom in the Battle of the Last Alliance was a big deal. Took him a long time to recover from. Um, and so long that some thought him destroyed. Some thought that they, they saw, thought they'd seen the last of him, right? Um uh, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so that he is taking shape again is a big deal and makes sense in that circumstance. And Gandalf's mission, right, to Dol Guldur, uh, was to discover this guy, this necromancer that we've been hearing about, right? Who is he, really? They clearly had suspicions as he's reviewing. Right, I, our, I found thus that our fears were true. I don't know who's included in the hour here. Um, all of them, right? Did all, everybody in the room have that have that fear? Um, he and Elrond did certainly, right? Um, so yeah, um, he uh, he's been taking shape again and is now just about ready, right? At length, taking shape and power again. I tend to think that the power refers to external power. Um, not that he is growing stronger again, but rather that he is taking shape that refers to his own being, right? And that he is taking power again, meaning he's bringing the band back together, right? He's getting his orc armies together. He's getting, he, is, he is beginning to establish himself as a power in Middle-earth again. Um... Yeah. 
And yes, Marielle, of course, it also does completely recontextualize Gandalf bailing on the company outside of Mirkwood in The Hobbit. Yeah, he did have other things to do, right? Um, uh, that was, of course, not this discovery, right? That was when he found Thorin's map. Um, but yeah, he had to meet up with Saruman and the rest of them to go kick the Mirkwood out of Dol Guldur. It was kind of a big deal, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, good, good. Um, let's see. Um, so, yeah, taking shape and power again. Now, Flamifer, I agree with what you were saying before. If you're a first-time reader, you're not going to have any idea what that means, right? You don't have any of the Silmarillion context or anything to work into that. Um, but it still is sufficiently creepy, right? At length, taking shape and power again. Um, this is our enemy of old. So the enemy has the ancient enemy, which has been a terrible threat before. Um, remember the way that this links back to the discussion about Elendil and his broken sword that we've been having, right? We defeated this guy once, though it took the deaths of the leaders of the elves and the men in order to do it, right? And El and not Elrond, Aragorn seems to be ready to sign up for the same thing again, right? Um, in taking up the sword and reforging it. Um, but... Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Mudmore, um, Mudmore saying, how likely is it that a, a necromancer just appears out of nowhere? Uh, yeah, well, nobody really knows who he is or what he is exactly. Um, uh, it does seem to me plausible that there are human sorcerers. Um, that there could be other people who have managed to, who do manage to perform, you know, dark arts of some kind or other. Um, there was a suggestion that it was one of the nine. So for Thomas Kuro, you've got two different populations, right? You've got the general public, right? Who has no idea what this necromancer could be, but doesn't find it impossible or like that weird. I mean, it's unfortunate that this dark sorcerer has arisen in our times, but, you know, like, these kind of things happen. Um, and then the in-crowd, right, the wise, who kind of know some things, they're like, maybe it's one of the Ulairi. We've seen this before. Maybe this is Angmar Part 2, right? Um, certainly the Witch King is able to do things. Think about what he did in the, in the Barrow Downs. Right, uh, he's able to commune with evil spirits and send them in places and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, ah, oh, okay. Um, Trifle saying, the, "What definition of necromancer is Tolkien using? Raising the dead or communicating with the dead?" I'm not going to answer that question right now, Trifle, but I can say, tune in tomorrow night because I hope to get to that in. Uh, the Mythgard Academy, our discussion of Morgoth's Ring, there is some juicy necromancer material um, that uh, I am totally going to be talking about. Footnote. <laughs> Disclaimer. 
There's a non-zero chance that I won't get to those slides tomorrow. <laughs> because it's kind of near the end of what I have planned for tomorrow's class. So who knows? But at the very least, by next Wednesday, I will get to the really juicy necromancer bits. Um, and uh, there we go. There we go. So yeah, don't worry. Don't worry, Ambrose. Uh, I'm really honest. We're totally not going to skip that part. Um, but yeah, 10 p.m. Eastern. That's it. 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh is the plan. That's it. Okay, anyway, so yeah, more on Necromancer stuff, because uh, the simple answer trifle is that Tolkien had never specified. I mean, he used the word Necromancer uh, in The Hobbit, and it was not at all clear what he was imagining with that, like, literally necromancy, like getting uh, information from dead people, right, from the spirits of dead people. Is that is that actually what he's talking about? Um, or just... In, in a more general sketchy magic way, like the way that they teach nigromancy in those uh, uh, in those convent schools uh, that Morgan Le Fay was sent to in the beginning of Mallory. Um, but um, anyway, yeah. So um, that's there's uh, there's there's definitely more, and I don't think, for the record. A little spoiler of what I'm going to talk about, uh, hopefully tomorrow night or possibly the week after, uh, is um, uh, my little spoiler is I don't think Tolkien had ever decided that, honestly. I think that he had always been vague about it. Uh, and he, trifle, I think that Tolkien himself did not answer that question about what did he mean by necromancer exactly until after he'd written The Lord of the Rings until writing the passage of text that we're going to be talking about tomorrow night, which is the on the laws and customs of the Eldar, the little essay that Tolkien wrote doing world-building, explaining about elves and how they think and live um, in ways like he'd never done before. And this was in the late 50s that he was writing that. But anyway, okay. Um, uh, let's, uh, <laughs> yeah, Lady Gunn says, juicy necromancy sounds wrong. Yeah, it sounds at least distinctly unhygienic, doesn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, we're doing the laws and customs of the Eldar tomorrow night, Trifle. That's exactly what we've gotten up to. We're starting right at the beginning. Wait, I just got, I just giggled my way through the, uh, uh, the, the, the post-mortem divorce, uh, of Muriel and Finway last time. Uh, and then now we're getting, we're up to the laws and customs of the Eldar. So it's, uh, it's fantastic. Anyway, okay. All right. But anyway, not distracting my own self. Getting back to... Okay, so Gandalf says... Uh, now, notice Gandalf is kind of giving his his credentials here at the beginning, right? Um, I'm telling you that this... I'm, I've just said I'm going to need you to take my word for it to some extent, right? That this ring is the enemy's ring, Right? But then I'm going to start off by reminding you, it was me who confirmed that the necromancer was Sauron in the first place, right? Turned out to be right about that, didn't I? Right? Kind of knew what I was talking about. We kind of, and, and, oh, wait, yeah. Did we, we kind of discovered that almost too late. In fact, it really was too late. Because by the time we did anything about it, it was too late. Sauron had his armies. He had, like, they had, you know, beat out the carpets and, and swept the threshold there at Barad-dur on his behalf. And whammo, there he is, set up in Mordor. It's right. So, like, 
already we've been waiting too much. And this is what he emphasizes in the second paragraph, all the waiting, right? We were too late, as Elrond foresaw. Sauron also had watched us, right? We, we, we did a lot of watching, right? Some will remember that Saruman dissuaded us from open deeds against him. And for long we watched him, we watched him only. And I loved the reverse. Sauron also had watched us, right? That's kind of what happens when you sit back and just watch, right? Um, Saruman yielded, finally, the second time, and the council put forth forth its strength. Um, And Tony, yes, he's already interweaving the two questions here, right? Saruman was involved then as well. Right. Um, what, what is Sauron's ca- counsel to us in this hour? Well, let's also here begin by reviewing what Saruman's counsel has been to us in the past. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Argent. Exactly. So he's like, I would like to begin by making it perfectly clear to everyone that I was right and Saruman was wrong before. Right. As long as we can agree on that, right? Yeah, I mean, he is. Now, I, I don't, I'm not saying that he's trying... I'm not trying to just make a joke out of it, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that Gandalf is, is elevating himself here. That's, that's not the point. But he is certainly... Um, inviting some critical thinking t- directed towards Saruman's advice, right? We didn't attack Sauron before. As soon as, as soon as I discovered that it was Sauron, we didn't attack. And when we did attack, it was too late. And, objective statement of fact, it was Saruman who led us on that path. Right? Exactly, Tony. Planting a seed that he will harvest later seems to be exactly uh, what, he's, what he's doing. Um, exactly. Yeah, Trifle says, I think Gandalf might be in the process, or at least has in the last few months, of looking back at what Saruman has been saying for the last 300 years or so. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. So he is definitely setting up the Saruman story uh, for later on. Um, but notice the overall thrust of all this stuff, right, is remember Gandalf began with what is Sauron up to, right? Um, Sauron believes that this ring is his ring, clearly, right? I mean, come on. That's clearly what Sauron believes, right? So what are we going to do? Watch and wait, right? What are we going to do? Be like, well, I'm less than 100% convinced, right? This might not be. This might be a complete coincidence. Maybe Sauron is wrong, right? Okay, we could sit and think about this a lot longer. We could maybe do a lot more nothing like we've been doing. Um, But look, look at what has happened, right? And Sauron has recently figured this out. Yeah, Sauron is definitely not waiting. Um, Tessa says, did Saruman know for sure that the necromancer was Sauron? He certainly did after Gandalf returned and reported it. Did he know that beforehand? Probably. Um, but he certainly knew it. It was after it had been revealed. After Gandalf came back and said first-hand testimony that it's totally Sauron right there, um, then Saruman still said, let's just wait and watch. 
Yeah. Um, then for the last time the council met, for now we learned that he was seeking ever more eagerly for the one. We feared then that he had some news of it that we knew nothing of. But Saruman said nay, and repeated what he had said to us before, that the one would never again be found in Middle-earth. Okay, so after the banishment of Sauron, banishment to his stronghold, right, in Mordor, um, after the would-be, or apparently, kicking out of Sauron from from Barad-dûr, um, the White Council meets again. Um, yeah, Trifle says, uh, let's wait last 90 years. Yes, there's a 90-year gap of waiting um, between the one and the other, between the discovery. That's the amount of time those 90 years try for, the 90 years in which uh, Gandalf has been walking around with Thorin's map in his pocket, right? And the key. Absolutely. Um, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Then the council meets again. For now we... And, and why did the council meet again? Because they learned that he was seeking ever more eagerly for the one. Somebody give me the... Uh, somebody give me the dates. I can see some of you are poking around in Appendix B. Um, what's the date of that last meeting of the White Council? When Saruman says nay and repeats what he had said before. Um... 2953. Okay. 2953. So that was... Let's see. Right after? Um, uh, yeah. 12 years. Thank you. 12 years after. So they boot him out in, uh, in 1241... Or 2941. In 2941, right, is the Battle of the Five Armies and the kicking out of Sauron and the finding of the ring. And then um, in 10 years later, in 2951, Sauron declares himself, right, openly in Mordor. And two years after that, they have the final reading, or meeting, right? The final meeting. Okay. Um, so oh yeah Matt says it's an interesting thing they're not being a meeting Saruman would as head of the council be the one to call it that is interesting given that this is in part an answer to why Saruman is not at this meeting yeah um, okay so they meet two years after um They meet two years after um, the uh, declaration of himself by Sauron, right? Um, and already at that point, at that point, right, so Tony, it's been 65 years, <laughs> people are throwing all kinds of dates at me here. And I always get these dates mixed up in my own head without looking them up myself. 
Um, it's been 65 years since what their previous. No, not since the previous meeting. Since the la since the last meeting. Yeah, since their last meeting, the second meeting. Okay. All right. Okay. So. At that point, 12 years after Bilbo has had the ring, Sauron is already looking for the ring. Um, hang on, guys. Can I ask you something? Stop speculating about Saruman. Now is not the time. We're not there yet. You got A bunch of people are asking, like, when did Saruman look in the Palantir for the first time? Would he have built an army? I don't care. We're not answering that question yet, okay? Um, and so everybody discussing it is like, I can't read anything else here, okay? Focus on the passage here. We're talking about Sauron and Sauron taking shape and what the council knew about him, okay? Um, so Sauron is looking for the ring, we are told. Um, we had learned that he was seeking ever more eagerly for the one. That's why the council is called. That's what Gandalf says. Then for the last time the council met, for now we learned that he was speaking ever more eagerly. He was seeking ever more eagerly for the one. Right? Um, uh, he's looking for the ring of power, and so they say, do we, uh, do we, um, Does he know something we don't know? Right? Keep in mind, Gandalf has known about Bilbo's ring for more than a decade already. Right? Yeah, should we be worried is a question. So here's Gandalf. He's been uneasy. He's been uncertain. What is this ring of Bilbo's? Bilbo just found it. So notice one of the things that he's kind of doing, he is kind of answering Galdor's question, right? How did I fill in the gaps, right? Because there can be no absolutely direct evidence. No one is going to be able to present anything, any documents, right? Or not. Like if Gollum could be dragged in for interrogation, then maybe they could, but they don't have him, right? So without Gollum's physical presence, uh, there is nothing other than Gandalf explaining his own experience, right? Um, that is going to be able to prove to people that this ring is definitely Sauron's ring, right? So Gandalf is uneasy. Saruman says, don't worry about it. Saruman tells the council, um, the ring will never again be found in Middle-earth. Um, Yeah, I agree. The script on the ring is pretty telling, Marielle, right? Um, and it's interesting nobody brings over, like, a blowtorch or something, right? No one gets a, a nice candle, right? Puts the ring in the fire to show everybody right then. It doesn't happen, right? Um, yeah. Saruman's speech. What do you think about Saruman's speech here? At the worst, our enemy knows that we have it not. And that it still is lost. But what is lost may be found, he thinks. Fear not. His hope will cheat him. Have I not earnestly studied this matter? 
into Anduin the Great it fell, and long ago, while Sauron slept, it was rolled down the river to the sea. There let it lie until the end. Yeah, Tony, literally... Taken literally, that seems... That always seemed really weird to me. Right? I mean, I distinctly remember, as a kid, being skeptical of that. I remember as a child, my response to that passage was, they bought that? Rolled down the river to the sea? I mean, come on, how likely is that? Right? Um, hundreds of miles down the river? Like, have you ever seen a riverbed before? Uh, it is possible. Right, Anger says, I dropped my wedding ring and found it a good ten feet away. That's true, right? But, um... Uh... Yeah. I, um... It could theoretically happen. I guess. Maybe. But I find it, um... Unlikely. Unlikely. Um... Here's my question. Why is Gandalf quoting Saruman here? Let's peek ahead. His next words, of course, are going to be, Gandalf fell silent, gazing eastward from the porch to the far peaks of the misty mountains, at whose great roots the peril of the world had so long lain hidden. He sighed. There I was at fault, he said. I was lulled by the words of Saruman the wise, but I should have sought for the truth sooner, and our peril would now be less. I was lulled by the words of Saruman the Wise. Saruman's chief message is fear not. Right? Have I not earnestly studied this matter? Trust me. You see the irony? Here, Saruman said to Gandalf almost exactly what Gandalf is saying to the rest of the council right now, right? Trust me. Yeah, Enoch, I think that Gandalf did basically believe it because he wanted to, right? He was troubled. He was worried about Bilbo's ring, right? Um, remember that even his own... Um, his own version of the story back in Frodo's parlor in chapter 2, well, the old chapter 2, um, suggested the same kind of thing, right? How he kept making excuses. Still, he comes from a long-lived family, right? On his mother's side. Um, it wasn't until the party, it wasn't until the moment when Bilbo tried to get rid of the ring and failed, initially, right? That Gandalf finally recognized, finally embraced the fact. Finally stopped resisting his fear, his doubts, right? He clearly wanted to not... He was motivated to believe that this was not the enemy's ring. Um, and... Saruman has clearly um, Saruman has clearly played on that, right? 
Um, fear not. Have I not earnestly studied this matter? We can eliminate that as a possibility. And look, remember, he's right. He has earnestly studied the matter. Everybody knows. Galdor knows. Everybody knows that Saruman is the expert on the Rings of Power. Nobody else has earnestly studied this matter. Who's going to question him? What reasons do they have for doubting him? Remember, Galdor is not doubting the wise. The wise, doubtless, have reason to believe this, right? Um, He just very politely asks to see the proofs or asks, is it okay for them to see the proofs, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, But Galdor was, would have believed. And had Saruman come in and told him, right, just as he was seeking for Saruman's wisdom, um, he he would have, uh, Galdor would certainly have believed him, right? Um, yeah, yeah, Carita says, I feel for Gandalf here. A lot of us know what it's like to have questions or doubts, only to talk ourselves into ignoring them, looking for the confirming advice for some, from someone uh, who we trust. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fourth Hauntless says, Saruman is basically guaranteeing the occurrence of, event that, uh, of an event that no one saw and that can't be tested after the fact. Um, y- y- yes, that is true. Um, but he is saying... Have I not earnestly studied this matter? I'm not making this up, right? Um, Into Anduin the Great it fell, and long ago, while Sauron slept, it was rolled down the river to the sea. I have a theory about this. He says, have I not earnestly studied this matter? What kinds of studies would he have been doing into this? Uh, Long experiments with... Has he dropped similarly weighted golden rings into similar rivers and observed carefully their progress and discovered that the percentage of times in which rivers, in fact, successfully bear the rings down. No, I don't think that's what he's saying. Nor do I think he's saying that I have scrupulously searched the Anduin and it's totally not there, I promise you. Um, That's clearly not what he's saying. Um... So what's he saying? I think we're making an assumption here. That is, we're comparing his earnest study of this matter to, like, traditional academic earnest study of this matter. And I don't necessarily think that that's what he would be doing. Look at that sentence again. Into Anduin the Great it fell, and long ago, while Sauron slept, it was rolled down the river to the sea. Let's do a grammar study again. What do you notice about that sentence? Long ago, while Sauron slept, it was rolled down the river to the sea. Passive voice again. Exactly. Who did the rolling? Who did the rolling? He doesn't say it rolled down the river to the sea. Like, you know, they do.
Now, who who did the rolling? This is a trick question. It's passive voice, which suppresses the subject, the doer, the doer of the action, right? I always read that back when I thought this was, you know, when I was a kid and I thought this was really weak. I always read that as it rolled. I, I, I skipped the was essentially in my own mind. While Sauron slept, it rolled down the river to the sea. But that's not what he says. It was rolled. Something rolled it down the river to the sea. <laughs> Tarloniel says, almost strikes again. Um, yeah. Actually, kinda, yeah. One possible way to translate this. Paraphrase. Saruman. Don't worry. We've got this. Right? Um, the, the Valar have our backs. They took care of this. It went into the river. Yes. And it's been taken from the river to the sea. Remember, like, chucking it in the ocean is going to be one of the things they're going to suggest about doing with the ring. Right? Um, there will be... Th- that, that, will, that will emerge in a few pages from now as one viable option about how to handle the ring and prevent Sauron from ever getting it. Saruman appears to... Um, appears to imply to me that someone else has taken a hand here. I don't think he's suggesting that a golden ring would naturally roll hundreds of miles down a river spontaneously uh, to end up in the ocean. Right? Yeah, Enoch, exactly. I, too, always made that mistake. Read it as it rolled down the river to the sea, not it was rolled. And yes, Ambrosius Aurelianus, there is indeed that sort of precedent. There is, in fact, a Silmaril in the bottom of the ocean, right? Um, The idea that a thing can be, you know, sort of lost and to remain lost, you know, in those kinds of ways, um, that's, that's, it would be one way. It would be one way in which um, the Valar could take a hand here. It would be an indirect hand, right? I mean, they'd be rolling the the ring down. They they wouldn't be striking against Sauron. But if they did want to do this, right, if they did want to make it possible, they did want to kind of help safeguard the people of Middle-earth somehow. So when Saruman says, have I not earnestly studied this matter? Again, I don't... He's not performing scientific experiments. He's not just going on searches. Um, he's certainly not claiming to have done so. We know that he, he has searched, but that's not what he's saying, right? I think, and I think this is why he's saying fear not, and I think this is why Gandalf is lulled. That's an important word, lulled, by these words, Right? What is he playing on? Now, several of you are saying, is Saruman using his voice? Oh, heck yeah. Absolutely he is, right? But why does it work? Why does it work on all the whys? Because this is something that they would really want to hear, right? Um, 
Exactly, Tony. They're both subject to the authority of the Valar. Are either one of those Gandalf? Is it Gandalf going to say like, oh, I think it's pretty unlikely that the Valar would take any direct or indirect hand in this matter. Well, he is the hand of the Valar in this matter, right? Um, And so also I don't think if Saruman says, I have studied this matter and I conclude that this is what happened. Like, I have reason to believe. Trust me. I have reason to believe that somebody stepped in and took the ring, right? Um, I think it's, uh, there's lots of reasons to be lulled by that. There's reasons to question it, especially in retrospect, right? Uh, yeah, Mad Violina says it's the evidence of any good long con. Yeah, exactly. He's been, um, uh, he's been trading on the trust that they have and the knowledge that they have. I mean, so to the other elves, right, to like to Goadriel and Elrond and, and them, they would be like, well, he's the Maya sent from Valinor to help us, right? And the one in charge, right, the most powerful of those who arrived, maybe he has some insight and has been given some insight into this, right? And he has studied this matter and maybe this is what he came up with, right? Maybe he has reason to know. And is it impossible? No. It's happened before. With the Silmarils, it happened, in a sense, right? That, um, you know, they, they were sort of taken into protective custody, right, in the depths of the sea and elsewhere. Um, Saruman is being very indirect in saying that. Notice Saruman is also not perjuring himself or anything, right? He does not say, okay, guys, listen. I had almost sent me a message. I had a, I had a, you know, I was, I was, I was there, right? I was out by my duck pond and Olmo rose up out of my duck pond and was like, I would like you to know that I took care of that ring problem. Tell the guys, right? And he's like, okay, thank you, Olmo. Like, that's not, he doesn't say that, right? He doesn't spin them a story. He is, Aranas, as you say, intentionally vague, right? And he, um, but he, permits them, prompts them, right, uh, to fill in the gaps. Um, He doesn't claim it, but I think that he leaves that open there. Um, There let it lie until the end. He says as if, like, this is clearly what the Valar want. Right, and there's precedent for that. The Silmarils are gonna lie, and there's a Silmaril on the bottom of the ocean lying until the end, right? So, like, let the Ring of Power, Sauron's Ring of Power, join like the collection of extremely rare and extremely important artifacts lying at the bottom of the sea until the end, right? Um, exactly, WKU fan. I absolutely do agree that that line there, let it lie until the end, capital E, um, does specifically draw the lore of the Silmarils into their minds. Now, a first-time reader's not going to hear that, obviously, um, but Galadriel and and uh, uh, and uh, Elrond certainly will, absolutely. Um, exactly, it would mean that it's in the keeping of the Valar. Yeah, yeah. What? 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 Why wouldn't you be lulled? by that if that was told you by somebody that you had reason to trust and reason to believe might know it or might gain, might plausibly gain some insight into that. Um, I think that's great. I think that that is a really cunning move 
by Saruman. Um, yeah. And now Karita says Gandalf could be like, so how do you know? Did you talk to the Valar? But he doesn't push it because it would be rude, because it risks him to find out something he doesn't want uh, to hear. Um, well, there I think... So if you think about it, I had original... Back, back when I struggled with this passage, when I used to struggle with this passage, um, my big problem was I felt it was a really tough sell for the voice of Saruman. Right. That Saruman has to, I mean, I knew he had the power, but that Saruman has to, like, what he has to accomplish with the application of the voice of Sauron here, of Saruman here, is um, I'm going to spin you this wildly implausible story about the ring spontaneously rolling by the natural current of the river down into the ocean. And I'm going to, don't ask me any questions, right? Accept this kind of ridiculous explanation and and go about your business. Like, I thought that that's what, and that seemed to me, that was, that, that was a lot, right? But that's not what's going on here, right? What's going on? He's given them, in fact, a quite plausible story, right? The Valar have taken it into their keeping. They have stepped in, not in any flashy way, but in exactly the kind of way that the Valar do still step in, right? So it fits their MO, right? They've stepped in, if they have taken it's like it swims with the Silmarils now, the ring does, right? The Valar have taken it, they've got it, so fear not. Fear not. Everything's fine. Now, what is he exerting his voice to do? So Karita, all he has to exert his voice to do is to say, Don't ask like, believe it. Take you want you know. You want to believe that. You know because it would be terrifying if Sauron were to find his ring of power again. And we called this meeting because there were rumors that he was uh, searching for the ring of power again and wanting to find it, right? So I am going to put all of the force of my voice simply into the phrase, fear not, right? Don't be afraid. I'm going to reassure you like it would kind of be my job to do. To accept this thing that you're going to want to believe anyway. And which makes sense. And which fits the pattern in the picture and the story we've had. Um, and all you've got to do is just not question it. Not doubt me. Not be like, come on, man. Really? You know, get Omo on the line and get him to confirm this. Right? Um, that's, uh, that's all, right? That's just, just don't do that. And Karita, as you say, that wouldn't be the natural inclination anyway, right? Gandalf wouldn't be inclined to be that skeptical towards Saruman, right? He wouldn't be like, oh, why, yeah, I can't believe anything that guy has to say, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you're absolutely right, Karita. It is pretty horrible for Gandalf to find out that someone he should have every reason to trust is lying to him. Um, and this was a this was a big one, this lie, right? Um, WKU says, is Saruman lying at this point, or does he believe it himself? It's pretty clear that he's lying. That this is an active piece of deception on this. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. And good. Lincoln, you're also right. Um, this reminds him of our discussion from a couple of weeks ago about how in previous epochs you assumed people were telling you the truth unless you had a good specific reason to believe otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yes. Yes. Um, okay. Well, let's end. We've already peeked ahead at Gandalf's remorse about being lulled in, re- in his retrospective remorse at being lulled. Um, but we'll we'll come back to that passage next time. I kind of skimmed through the paragraph leading up to it, um, but um, I you know I don't want to do that uh, uh, too much. Um, we'll come back. To, we're not going to skip over that paragraph. So we'll come back to that uh, interesting piece of prose description before Gandalf's next paragraph, uh, which I think is is uh, a really quite interesting and, and an emotionally powerful moment, actually, uh, for Gandalf. But we'll do that next week. Uh, thanks, everybody. Uh, we're going to switch over to our field trip now. Uh, so I'm going to say goodbye to folks uh, on Twitter and on the town here. And, uh, oh, here, look at that. Just as I say that, Narnian is going away. Um, Got to cover that here, if that happens. Okay, there we go. All right, so I'm going to say goodbye to the Twitter folks. Thank you guys there, and we'll switch over to twitch.tv slash signumu. All right. All right. Good evening, everybody. All right, good evening. All right, here, let me expand this. All right. So, uh, finishing up the necropolis today, huh? That's right. We're going to finish the necropolis. That's the goal. Sweet. All right. So, let us head back to Angmar. Let's go to Gathforth near, and we'll head down from there. All right. All right. They have a thing. All right. So intriguing lecture tonight. Just a lot of little subtle things, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a lot of really interesting things. That, and this is one of the things that had bothered me most for a really long time. The whole... What had seemed to me the wild implausibility of uh, Saruman's mm-hmm. story. You know, and it's like, how big of a sucker was, you know, Gandalf and Galadriel and Elrond and all of them? You know, like, they bought that story about it rolled down <laughs> yeah. to the sea? Um but uh, when I made that last final connection, was there's precedent? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Ah, uh, the ocean, the legendary garbage dump. Yep, yep. Okay. <laughs> it's like the sharps bag for like legendary articles. <laughs> <laughs> exactly wait to the end of days it'll be picked up and disposed of properly that's right yes throw your extremely dangerous unique artifacts here (laughs) you don't want to call you know the wrath of the fanorians down upon yourself Mm -hmm. yeah ooh trifle make sure to bring that question up next time about his hope cheating him yeah, mm-hmm. we'll definitely talk about that next time. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. 
should we head off? I always want to get I know I just now that I'm uh, not traveling but just uh, uh, porting porting here I'm always uh, a little we're okay we've got somebody say uh, uh, Melthalia wants a port um, she's uh, says she's by the prancing pony the prancing pony yeah I don't know if anyone can bring her here yeah if anyone can't I can but I need to know like right now Yeah, maybe you could bring her in, Valori. We can. Okay. Can you do that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. No, Provalo. Cool. All right. There's not too many concerts out front. <laughs> it's getting a little slow. Let's see. Okay. So let me... Okay. We got to that place at the car with the deadly water, the deadly green water. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there was a bunch of places further up that we hadn't gotten to, further up the sides of the bowl there. Um... Yeah, I think so. Well, there was that long staircase again. Right. And so to recap what we were seeing, this was clearly an ancient burial place of the old, the original generation of men who lived here. Yes. Um, Which was, but then we've seen no other clear evidence of modern hillmen using it as a burial spot. It was just an ancient burial, excuse me, burial spot, which was taken over by um, Old Angmar first, and then uh-huh. New Angmar afterwards. Yes, that explains uh, a lot of the interference we've seen with metal dealies all over the... Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. We ready? Let's head out. We've got some necropolis exploring to do. So, now remind me. The, um... Uh... Mind you, but sorry. I cut it out a bit there. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, the, um... The buildings that were like full of skulls uh-huh. uh, and with the um, the ones that were full of skulls and had the green uh, sort of uh, the sort of the, the bluish stone. Lazuli, yeah, like. yeah. Um, did we decide that those were old Angmar or new Angmar? I think we said old because it didn't quite match the new shiny dark metal stuff, but it also didn't match the ancient barrows. Right. Okay. So I think that the the thing that... But it meant also that those... All of those hooded ladies were... Mm-hmm. Uh, were definitely old Angmarim as well. Yes. Which seemed kind of puzzling. 
Um, it's really puzzling, but we also have well, we haven't seen any of that stone in any of the new Angmarm stuff. Angmarm stuff. Yes. Yes. So until we uh, see it in some of the newer contexts, it's it's difficult to say that it came from one age or the other. Yeah. True. True. Same thing with the Wall of Skulls. We haven't seen anything like that in the new shiny Angmar stuff. Just yeah. Okay. So let's see. Where haven't we been? I feel like the stuff. Last in the... stop was the big poisonous lake. Yeah, the big poisonous lake. So we were over there on the right-hand side. We came yeah, over we've here been on the this first side time. Here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to remember how to get to the places that we haven't been. Mm-hmm. I think we pretty much got a lot of it, barring the the stairway to the old library where the the auditor was. Hmm, is this whole region covered in dread, or just a bridge? Uh, I think it's the, the ghosts. Oh, it's the guy? We're passing through. Yeah, the guys do it. Pretty oh, okay. sure. Just that we happen to be standing next to one. I see. Yeah, these are the ones that we decided were the fell nature spirits that were twisted, much like the Red Lady. And that's what we sort of hypothesized the, the giant blue lapis lazuli ladies, where they were elementals that were twisted or warped, similar to the, the blood maiden. Right. Okay, because so these the things in the wall, these are all the ancient ones. Who mm-hmm. made the wooden platform? And definitely new. We see it's got these new brass fittings all over. Yeah, these are new. It's uh-huh. like they're trying to um, make it easier to get around in here because maybe the ground's unstable. Right. So they must have been doing some more recent construction. Oh, there we were. Yeah. So we're up above. There's Ooh, the poison, poison waterfall. Yeah. I'm, and the poison, poison waterfalls. waterfalls. Right. It almost looks like polluted water coming from some sort of dam up there. Yeah. There we go. I don't want to fall a... down, but okay. No, do not fall into that. It's going to be right. a while before we come okay, back. Okay. So there's the big poison water. Coming all the way yeah, down that's... from essentially Karndoom, right? Is that Karndoom we're pointing to? No, it's Urugarth. Urugarth. But, but it's it look looks like... like runoff. Yeah. That's a twist. That's really kind of lovely, valid. right? I mean, we've talked before about uh, the way in Lodra, they're pretty faithful to the idea, um, you know, to Tolkien's oft sort of expressed idea of mm-hmm. the desolation of evil, right? When evil... Yeah, um, the dark satanic mills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and this is a real... I mean, I don't... Th- we have seen, like, you know, a river be polluted by passing through it and stuff, right? And we saw what uh-huh. happened to, um, you know, what, what happened to the the brown lands in the areas uh, there on the other side of the, of the black marshes that are the, the dead marshes that make Sam's feel sick. Um, uh-huh. And what, you know, they sort of fear is going to be coming over Athelian increasingly. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. 
Interesting. So the 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 visual image that this presents is that this place has been almost incidentally corrupted, like almost accident. I won't say accidentally because it's clearly not a complete accident, but um, I mean, it, it might have been with some planning involved, but just that this this river that once flew out of it now simply just conveys the corruption from Carndoom. By the look of it, this river goes all the way up to Carndoom. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, whether this is an unintentional byproduct of some sort of evil metalworking, or whether this was a happy accident, or because they wanted to make the dead unquiet anyway. Yeah, exactly, and it makes me wonder how much of the... Now, this makes sense that it's in this area, right near the near the lake, near the runoff, both up here on the cliffside and down there in the valley where we were last week, that um, we find those dread mists and and fell spirits, right? Um, mm-hmm. Some of which seem to be coming in, and some of which seem to be corrupted local spirits, as you suggested. I remember the ones on the island were not the angry, vengeful spirits that are usually out here. The ones that were on the island were sorrowful spirits. Right. The right. They, they wonder if the water is somehow uh, uh, maybe they were not intended to wake up and they're just sort of there or something because of the river or who knows. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, and it goes through through Urugarth and it comes from the Karndoom sewers, right? Uh-huh. Um, which is sort of a you know it's sort of a lovely parallel. I mean the 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 idea of it being like polluted in the way that a sewer might pollute um, a river uh, is like a you know it's like making physical the metaphor right um, of corruption and of the corruption light. yeah exactly well, those two aren't too far off honestly. Yeah, interesting. So love for the, it's loss of love for the land, loss of respect for the land. Yeah, Aranast and uh, Aradrush are talking about Helkgam, uh, uh, which is thought to be the source of the corruption by the hillmen. And um, yeah, so we'll have to. Yeah, I want to find what the source is. We'll have to look into that when we yeah. get up Karn Doom and Urugarth way. But let's keep going up here, since we're here along the side, and we found this trail that leads up to these stairs. This is where that library is? Yeah, I believe so. Because then here we've but got We this... were all excited, and we thought it'd be untold knowledge, and it was like an IRS guy doing audits. Right. Oh, wait, hang on, before we go up the steps, because we can get around to there this way, right? Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah, let's see, there is a bunch more over here. Yep. Let's see if we see anything interesting. Red lights. Glowy red lights. Whoa, that's another statue up here, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, look at that. See, I'm going to Funko Bubble Pop with that. Okay, so here we've got some more of that blue stone, which looks like old This is a different kind of altar. Yeah. And then the old catacombs... Uh-huh. What, are, what are these guys? These are guys are merciless fell spirits. Okay. Yeah, see, then once again, we're getting to the angry stuff. All right. Looks yeah. like they're sucking in light. For, oh, no, that's just the boundary rocks. 
get in the eye. She's going to back up. When this guy looks, you know, this statue, So I mean, he almost looks like he's swimming, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That's interesting. Okay, so who... Let's see, and then these guys over here, right? Oh, merciless guys. Um, bunches of fell spirits back here. Uh-huh. From Tolmoth. Another little uh, makery bakery here. Oh. Yeah, I can't... I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing so much dread that I... <laughs> can barely see it. Um, it's got the, the iron crown carved on it like the others. Yeah. Yes, I can. Make that out. There it is. Okay. So these are old Angmars. So I think then looking over at the plinth of the statue itself, mm -hmm. I'm going to go with old Angmar for the statue too. I thought the, the, the new, these were the new ones, but I'm not sure. Maybe not. I can't remember whether they said that the, the statues were new or just some of them were new because they were looking to make more, like, demon phylacteries for them. Yeah. Let me back off a little bit and see if I can see it anymore. Yeah, no. just a bit, yeah. No, still same quantity of dread even from this distance. <laughs> What's my dread up to? Five? Good grief. Yep. It's a lot of dread. Quite. Up oh, staircase over there, too. Well, I don't have any hope tokens, do I? No. Of course. Mm. Narnian has never quested, so I wouldn't have any hope tokens. That's all right. I should send some to Narnian just to, so that I can clear up uh, my graphics when I'm in a dreadful place. Yeah. Okay, merciless and wrathful spirits again. All right. There are some yeah, Gryffindors yeah. over there. So really, we're we're seeing just ancient ruins. I still think that that blue stuff is definitely old Angmar. Maybe the statue is new. Because there are definitely some touches, like we saw some of the just uh, you know, some of the fishhook spikes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's definitely evidence that new the new Angmar has come through and tried to sort of stir things up again, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and so maybe they I mean, have apparently been successful with the statue back there as we can see all these wrathful and merciless spirits who seem uh -huh. to be what? Connected with it? Or maybe the metal it. pieces that were put on the tombs, maybe the statues to activate those. Maybe. Maybe. See, and then ah, there's... that is a giant hand. Wait, where's oh, the it giant is. Hand? Hewn giant hand. Arm. Where? Right, 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 right near me. Wait, where? It's over here. Yeah, down the, down in the the pond in front of me. In the pond. But don't get too close. It's a rare lead. Oh. Yeah. yeah. 
That's the noise I made when I saw it. <laughs> oh, a ginormous crawling arm. Yeah. Like you do. Uh, someone's someone's trying to take it. All right. Wow. Wow. Well done, guys. That is huge. So it's like the severed hand of a severed zombie hand of a giant. Of a well, said literally giant arm. Wow. Hewn giant arm. Wow. Okay. Oh man, there's lots of stuff over here. Let's see. So this is uh-huh. the way down to the shores of the poison lake, right? I believe so. Bit turned around. Yeah, There's I a think lot so. of stairs, and not all of them go places. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so that... Yeah, yeah. The, uh, poison like dead end. Yeah, and there's... That's the uh, it's the back side of the island that we ended on last time. Yeah. Oh, look, it's a cute little hand. <laughs> it's a baby arm. Okay. One of the things I'm trying to figure is uh-huh. the waterfalls and things. Whether this was originally a non-deadly lake, whether it was originally a lake which has been made poisonous, or whether it was the whole water is new. See what I mean? Yeah. I'm not sure. This area does seem like it's flooded quite a lot. This, oh, you can see, like, the black vines coming out of the, the pond yeah. over here. Yeah. It I does mean, seem like a lot of this place has taken on more water than intended. Also consider these buildings are starting to sink into the ground. Right, then certainly this happened. one here, yeah. Yeah, this maybe this, this was a suggest. river whose course was diverted to flow into here. Well, right, that's what I'm wondering. If it's not just that those waterfalls used to be um, nicer but that they were more that they were less before yeah okay so right looks like a lot's been changed over the millennia yeah exactly like it happens you know Um, yeah Amethorn I agree that none of this was poison before my question was just whether there was water before yes Guess I should mount up again. But yeah, this place is sinking into the ground like Mexico City here. Yeah. Okay. I just. I don't know. There's some more. So, I don't see the function of these. Oh, here's the top of the waterfall. Look at that. Wonder how large the area of effect for that spray is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can see all this stuff is underwater, like it wasn't meant to be here. Right. I wonder if we go along the yep. side, we'd see more evidence of water going in a different direction. Yep. Yep. Agreed. So these are still There's... my question, though. I mean, most of this looks like all of these paths and stairs and everything all seem to have been built by the ancient people who made these Mm -hmm. tombs. And this was clearly, and I agree, 
this river is, was clearly not here before. Mm-hmm. So this whole, not just the poison, but the river itself has been created recently. But why did they do this? Is this natural? Is this a natural slab? Um, I can't tell whether it's natural or whether it was something and it's rounded off now. Almost looks like it was something and it was just worn away over the years. Maybe. Because we haven't seen any natural, just like natural occurring rocks of this material. I assumed it was imported, yeah. Yeah, that's what it's always looked like. But, yeah, okay. Um, I'd have to see what it belonged to. <laughs> no, there's there's definitely a carving edge over here that was worn away. That was my first thought, too. But, okay, so my question is, I still don't get this stuff. Me neither. Like, what the old Angmarim were doing. What the new Angmarim are doing seems fairly clear. Stirring things up is what the new Angmarim are doing. Yeah. So they put that statue there. They put the... Oh, look, it's a treasure chest. Um, And the old... The ancient peoples were clearly just minding their own business and burying their dead. But... Mm-hmm. But that is a really huge waterfall. Yeah. It looks... Yeah, it does look like it was carved in here. Like maybe there was a reservoir or a lake on the other side. A natural reservoir. And then they just carved into the side of the mountain to let it all go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wish we could go up there and see. Yeah. But I just, I don't understand the pattern. I don't understand the function. Because I, through here, if we're right in thinking that this stone here is from old Angmar, like mm-hmm. what did they do? What were they accomplishing? There seemed to be random what? Tombs? Maybe they're not tombs. Maybe they're altars. Random altars that were constructed in random Maybe. places? Yeah. Maybe it's some kind of prison. Like you put the body in and the spirit comes out or something. Or the, the spirit inhabits it or something like that. Something to trap or entice fell spirits. Yeah, the fact that we've never seen the stone in any part of Middle-earth does say mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. This might have come all the way from, who knows, Mordor? That would be a long way to transport large blocks of stone, but... Maybe this is where the purple metal comes from. Maybe it's refined from this kind of rock or metal or something like that. And the purple Maybe. metal was like a better way. So they quit using the blue stone and they used the metal which they could refine themselves. Maybe. Because, yeah, all right. Hang on. Glancing from here. 
I mean, you could see why they ducked it in here, though, because this place is not strategically in, you know, of any import or interest to Angmar. There's no soldiers here. There's no barracks. This is not an area of, you know, geological importance, military importance. This is a sealed-in kind of canyon. Mm-hmm. So you could see why, you know, the, the higher-ups just said, I'll just flood it. There's nothing there. And what quiet spirits we woke up are going to stick around, you know? Right, they're not going to drown them. Yeah, we knew they were here. Like, maybe this was a failed experiment? Like, they tried waking up the dead and they couldn't get him to do anything? (laughs) Right, so old Angmar just kind of gave up on it? Yeah, maybe. Maybe this is a failed experiment, because otherwise, they just dump it all in there. That, uh... That wall down there, which we can see so well from here. Uh Uh-huh. Um, that's old Angmar. Most of it. Yeah. Right. Most of it is most of it is from Angmar. The 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 statues, right? Those uh-huh. women with their the hands held statues. out like this in yeah. front of them. Right? Yep. And their heads mm-hmm. down, their their hooded heads down. And mm-hmm. then those are skull walls behind them. Yeah. The walls with the bones all built into them and stuff. Yeah, the cheap so, early option. So why did they do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the whole new Angmarim attempts to stir up trouble again seem easy to understand, but what the old Angmarim were trying to accomplish here? Why all the statues? Maybe this, I mean if I f- I figure if you're trying to, you know, start up as a necromancer, you couldn't get better than a necrocolitus. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is like the center of their rituals, once mm-hmm. upon a time. Mm-hmm. But the, the statues certainly is, do have a kind of the, ritual appearance. Yeah, so this, this looks like, you know, like every, you know, Egyptian horror movie where they have to go to the Black Temple and perform the Black Rites, blah, right. blah, blah. Right, right. You, yeah. you and it's rife with spirits for the calling. So that would make that part makes sense. The big part is why did they come back, throw a bunch of little purple metal things all over the place, and then just say, nah, we're flooding it. Yeah, well I mean it's not like it's totally flooded. It's just made a really ominous island down there. That's that's true. It's like, the whole place isn't destroyed, just a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the question is, what is the Witch King thinking? Is is he even, like, you know, overseeing any of this? Obviously, he's moved on to bigger and better things. Right. I mean, he's delegated Angmar the second time around. Yeah. So, I wonder if the... it's It looks like the second one's more interested in, like, whatever the function of this water is. Whether it's getting it out of the way for more important things. Usually, it's just, we don't want this water here. Send it somewhere else. And I don't care where somewhere else is as long as it doesn't bother me. So it definitely implies that this place is less used for rituals now. And it's just sort of a... It's just sort of... It, it, it is no longer the import that it was in the first Angmar Mage. Right. So it was made into this... So this area down here in the valley especially was some kind of center of old Angmarim ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And... Lilareth, you're right, it could very well be a deliberate corruption of the land. Um, 
the, this last time around. So it wouldn't be merely flooding it in the sense of rejecting it, but as a mechanism for doing something, which seems to be bearing fruit with the dread mists and stuff up there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, corrupted nature spirits everywhere, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brandon wants to know who the Witch King was now, and I'm like, oh, boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's going to be fun when we do that in some film. I'm, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be excited about that. Yeah, I've made some speculations on an old article I wrote a long time for Mythgard, but couldn't find the file anywhere. It was so sad. I wanted to read it just for fun. I couldn't find it anywhere. Oh, wait, oh hang well. on a second. Wait, we're dead-ended here? Oh, yeah, dead-ended. Missed end. the steps over there. Yeah. Steps. This is... You can see why they put the steps in now. Yeah, hang on. Oh, wait, hang on. Well, we missed the other big steps. Hang on, let's, let's go up the stairs here. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, we, yeah. We've been up here, but not for a long time. Was that back in a... Did we come up here before? In a field trip? Um... Yeah, I think that was when we were just starting out Lord of the Rings Online, honestly. Or was it when we did... I can't remember. Anyway, let's go up now in the context of having looked at all this stuff. This is clearly the ancient stonework, so this is... This would have been the highest point, certainly, of anything that we've seen. Don't see anything else. It's sure, there's lots of rituals level. involving carrying something up here, rites, tributes, sacred fire. Right. What are these guys? These guys are enslaved fell spirit. Oh dear. More decayed hands. Yeah, see, see, they're not they're they're not just moody. They've actually been enslaved. Right. Exactly. Gryffindors. Right. Oh, a necromancer. Where's a necromancer? Oh, up there. Right. They just got killed. Yeah. And there's another one up on the uh, up on top here. So. So yeah, these are the guys we've been looking for. Going, hey, what's going on here? Right. So we've got some new Angmarim hanging out here uh -huh. even now. Yep. Hmm. Shame we can't press them for info. Okay. Good. I'm glad. I was afraid for a minute that it was not going to be clear enough to see all the way down into the valley from here, but we can see pretty well. Oh, yeah. The, the, the dam with the green water is obscured yeah, the, for me. Yeah, we can see it. Yeah, too much cloud to see that over there, but okay. Oh, and now here is a piece of... This is... Is this Skullstone? No. What is this, I think green? that's further up, though. Oh, there's Skulls over here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Yeah, if that's not how you make your city of the dead for all your done dead ritual, I don't know how else, honestly. Right. Just the work that went into that. Oh, and here's more. Yep. Yep. There's all the necromancers. It look, they look like they're digging in the dirt for stuff, like trying to find relics or something. Yeah, what are they? What are these embers all over the place? Embers? I swear, it's like, yeah, there's like little orange things floating oh, right, up all the over little, the place. Yeah. They look like the ground is just sort of spontaneously combusting a little. Oh, bluestone. Oh, oh, is this bluestone and skulls? 
It's bluestone and skulls. Yeah. 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 In beautiful geometric shapes. Iron crime answer. Here we go. Okay. It's all tied together. And here is a... Wait, there's a named guy over there? Is there? Or did he already get... Hey, oh, 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 big altar. It's got the new stuff. It's got the purple iron fish hooks, and it's got Ooh, the blue stone, top. and it's got... Yeah, up top. Little anti-pigeon guards on top. Okay. It's yeah. a beautiful combination of all three ages. And look, then, there's a... And there are the... The women statues up above. Uh, oh, yep. Good catch. Yep. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. So it looks like... Yeah. About the different levels. I mean, those statues are clearly not... Hold on. Oh, wait, there he is again. No, mm -hmm. this is a spirit master. Oh, uh, this guy. Delucious. Yeah. Delucious. Right, there's... Okay. So it's a named spirit. That's interesting. Uh-huh. Hey, um... Could somebody look up the quest text for that quest to kill that dude and tell me who he is? Can we get some story on that guy? Yeah, seriously. That would be handy. <laughs> All right. But yeah, I think that you are right about the three different areas or ages here. Because here we have got this ancient set of catacombs here. And oh, dang, the, I, I, yeah, hey, Druid's Fire, I'm too lazy to click on things. Can you paste the text in? That's what I would really quite like. Because, <laughs> like, clicking on links involves browsers opening goodness knows where and me having to hunt for them and all kinds of things. Okay, give me just a sec, please. So they built this whole um, skull wall up around the old one. And then they also put this altar in the middle. And then the new guys came along and they're like, what this needs is green fire and gigantic fish hook things up at the top. Okay, all right, here we go. These tokens bear signs of Angmar, terrible sigils that may well be binding the fell spirits to this place, as we suspected. You must find the shrine used by the Angmarim in their rituals. I believe it is on an islet in a small pond. Okay, maybe difficult to find. Sure. If you call forth the spirits at the shrine, I believe they will come to that place one last time there to be banished forever. There is a dreadful chance, though. I can will confess my folk are not well versed in dealing with evil spirits. I think the elves would know more. And there are few enough of those in Angmar. Well, more than you'd think. Uh, Gautar, <laughs> examine the tokens you discovered from the fell spirits and discover they bear signs of Angmar. Okay. A name was written upon them. Delucious. Delucious. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Sigils binding them to the mortal world. Well, that's clear. Um, well, thank you. Lilareth was pasting into that. Thank you very much for that. Okay. 
All right. Hmm. So this... I don't see the sigils, though. Maybe we're not meant to see them. No, I think those are we're supposed to be accepted that that's what we've picked off these necromancers. Right. What's he... What's he holding? Is that a scroll? Oh. Or a baton? No, it's a sword. Uh, Sorry, it's a sword, yeah. Yeah, he's it's always knives with these guys. Yeah, well. For a second I thought he was holding a scroll, and I was kind of excited about that. <laughs> okay. Sorry, now I'm just temporarily distracted trying to imagine what genre of music concert is he at? Uh, Can't quite place like, it. It'd be like Blind Guardian or something. Maybe. I don't know. It's not quite jerky enough. There's much yeah, more stomping yeah. involved. Norwegian death metal? No, I don't think it's metal. I don't think it's metal. It's not just metal? No, you don't think it's metal? So we're thinking more like Tempest, like folk metal or kind something. Of thing, or something. Arnast suggests trance. I could, I could believe that. <laughs> prog rock. This is how you dance to prog rock. <laughs> there is no dancing. Yeah, he does. I think the fact that he kind of looks like he's holding a lighter up is what made me think of it in the first place. But yeah, um, yeah. Oh, speaking of metal, did you hear Alice Cooper's single drop today? For... I did not. That was nice. Yeah, he wrote a nice song for everybody in quarantine. Or was that yesterday? I have no concept of the time. It was yeah. really nice. I like him. Vincent's a good guy. <laughs> okay, all right, hang on a sec. All right. Lilibreth has more text. It occurs to me that this spirit you fought is, after all, a creature of the same ilk as those we seek to banish. He must not be controlled by the shrine, or he would not have been able to flee you so easily when he was on the brink of defeat. My guest uh-huh. has got another controls delicious. The necromancers of Imlad Balhorth ride hide in a ruin high in the in the kills? Hills. Hills. Anyway, on the south side of the area, quite possibly one of them is the protector of Delucius himself. So and this guy. A second shrine. Uh-huh. So the first uh, one was in that little island in the middle of the lake, but they mentioned the giant iron hooks. Yes, exactly. So... Like Which the one I think we our... almost tripped on because it was so big we couldn't yes, see exactly, it. Yes, exactly, because we couldn't see it. Exactly. So, um, exactly. Oh, cool. Arjush has pasted in Delucius's uh, dialogue while you're fighting him. Who oh, dares to call it? forth my kindred for banishment? Bah, you are more powerful than I thought, but no matter, I will not be defeated. When the second darkness comes, we will roam freely. Oh, Oh, indicating he was awake at the first darkness, which might have been the first overtaken anymore. Well, no, I would think the second darkness would be the older darkness. Like Melkor's darkness, maybe. Oh, that kind of dark. Oh, okay, so we're thinking that kind of nature of spirit. Well, it sounds like he's a. It sounds like he's a. Well, that he's not a nature spirit. No. I think like, that he's a, 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 an evil spirit, like an old. Uh, an old like servant of, 
like one of the minor, you know, servants of Melkor, one of the old ancient evil spirits. Mm. Yeah, I would scan. But yeah, so the so that the fishhook things would be basically connected with the mm-hmm. these sigils that we were talking about. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's keep going. It's time. Yeah. We're running out of yeah. time. But Man, how uh, do they get seepage all the way up here? Yeah. Let's keep so that we don't have to trace our steps all the way up here again a second time. Oh, okay. Yep, that's a that's a sharp turn there. Okay. Yeah, it is. Necromancer. And where are we? We're coming out the south side. Yeah. Of Imlad Yep. You can still see the necropolis on our on our left. The right, and, the yep. Now oh, we're we coming go. out into Eastern Malinhad. Yep. Welcome, Melonhead. And yeah. we get some orcs. Plain old, ordinary, non supernatural orcs. Okay. Kind of refreshing after all that. Great. Ah, yeah, we did miss the library, didn't we? Well, yeah, we did. If I recall, it was really disappointing. <laughs> it was really disappointing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we should probably stop here because it's getting late. I don't want to keep everybody yeah. up all night. Um, all right. So we will uh, we will return next week. And we're going to, I think, go back. We'll probably go by Barad Gularon next time. And then work our way south. To the Malinhad. I think that's what Sounds we Sounds good. Alright. Mm-hmm. Very good. Thanks everybody for joining us. And I mm-hmm. will see everybody next week. Thanks, Valori. Good night. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org slash fund.